Hi everyone, welcome to Rock Bottom to Recovery. Uh, this is episode uh, 32, and our guest today is Uncle Kevin F. We're not gonna say his last name, because uh, we're gonna be talking about uh, Alcohol Anonymous, if you wanna remain anonymous. Uh, we're gonna talk about sobriety, recovery, all those 12 steps, um, and um, yeah, we'll go from there. And like I was saying, you know, it's a very smart audience, so I think they're going to figure it out. But mm. anyways, just for the record, we will name anonymous. You will go under the name Uncle Kevin F. And so my name is Bill Farrell. Uh, I am your host of Rock Bottom to Recovery. We are on Podbean and iTunes. We're actually uh, filming a video, which you can check out all our past videos on our Facebook page, Rock Bottom to Recovery. And we'll talk about that a little bit more um, at, towards the end of the uh, video, but um, we're gonna jump right in. Uh, so, Unc, um, I'm glad to have you on here. We, uh, I'm very excited as you are one of my favorite people. Uh, you're the go-to guy when, um, you know, I have some questions, you know, m more, more because you always give me the right answer, just like my dad did, mm -hmm. um, uh, even when I didn't wanna <laughs> the right answer, but I knew it was right. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so very, very important part of my life, and I just thought it was great because sometimes when we go out um, and we're talking about recovery, talking about AA, and I just, I listen to you talk, um, you know, I'm just like, just filled with a lot of wisdom, obviously, because you've lived it, and you still live it, and how many years of sobriety do you have? I just celebrated my 41st year, 41st uh, August year. 6th, which is pretty cool. But it's a daily program, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, and, uh, that is cool. Yeah, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And the interesting thing is your dad brought me to the program. Yeah. And was sober five years. And watching him get sober helped me to, he was the power of attraction, we call it to me. Yeah. Because I knew what his life was like when he was drinking. And I knew what his life was like sober, how he was putting it together, <coughs> you know, how he was starting to put his life together and how... Uh, you know, he had a new enthusiasm for life when he was so sober. So you witnessed it firsthand. Absolutely. How, uh, from the time that he got sober, how, how long was it before you decided uh, maybe this is something I want to do? Well, I tried to get sober when I was 22, but I didn't stay sober. Yeah. Um, he was sober five years. Five years, okay. Uh, when I started to get sober, when I, when I got into the program, I started to take suggestions and... Yeah and do the things that are necessary to stay sober. And, uh, but he never gave up on me in those five years. He would talk to me, he never tell me what to do. Right. But he was always trying to nudge me to, uh, to do more. Yeah. And I was trying to do it my way, which isn't unusual. Yeah, no. You know, at the beginning of your recovery, so. Um, when, did, um, when, when did you start drinking? How old were you, do you remember? I can't remember my first drink. I was probably 12 or 13 years old. Uh, that's the drinking weird. age was 21. We used to get a buyer. We would drink in the Dorchester yard across from the house. Yeah. And we probably had 25 or 30 kids. and uh, Just everybody hanging out drinking? Yeah. We had, it was probably uh, more fun than when it was o I was old enough to drink. But yeah. Yeah. yeah we would be singing Beatles and Rolling Stones. <laughs> the Beatles and the Rolling the Stones. The cops, cops would be chasing us. But, yeah. uh, which is, which is, I mean, that was the same for us too. Same thing. We, we picked our spot. Yeah. You know, we got obviously we got our booze. We had to get a buy or two. Hmm. Um, we had our little spot. It was usually the we called it the Rock in Jamaica Plain. Which, when I when I when I look back now and I'm like, we were literally right outside the window. 
we weren't too bright on where we picked our <laughs> spots. So all you had to really do is kind of look out the window to see. Mm. Um, but we, you know, same thing. We, the cops were coming. Somebody was designated to grab the bear and run because um, everybody scattered in different directions and would meet back yeah. at the same place. And, yeah. uh, you know, at the time, it seemed like fun. But Well, it was fun. It was. <laughs> yes, it was. You didn't see the other side of it at that right. time. Well, even before I drank, uh, I came from a corner where... There was big families. Yeah. And almost all my friends had brothers that were like five years older than them, like Marty was to me, your yeah. dad. And uh, they probably needed five years before they wanted to have another kid in families in those <laughs> days. But, uh, but we would watch them drink, and it looked like it was all fun. Yeah. And, and they did some wild stuff. They used to steal cars. Yep. The Dorchester there was a big field. Yeah, so you, wait, Dorchester. What part of Dorchester? Were you, uh, we're Field, in Fields Field's Corner. Fields Corner, yep. and there was a Dorchester house. And there was a big field we played ball in, and at the back we played basketball. There were some tar basketball courts, and it was, it was pretty big. Is it the, the Dorchester House the same place the, as Yeah, today? where the, Do the Dorchester so House is. that was Ellis Street? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I remember that. You know yeah. what I remember about that? We, we were on the third floor. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> we were on the third floor. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. And uh, we were in this tiny little room. Yeah. It was uh, me. Uh, my dad, Marty, you, uh, in the other bed. It was like almost like a cell. <laughs> it was that small. Yeah, it was cool. And I remember that. Um, I remember that um, the um, the um, apartment because this is my only memory of my dad that I ever saw him with a, a drink. Mm. Was he he came into the house and he had a brown paper bag under his arm. Um, he came in the door, and I, I don't know what that middle room was, but me, we were sitting in there, and he walked by, and, um, and Grandpa said, you're not drinking in my house, get out, and he threw him out. He literally walked in, and walked back out, and then we were like, Where, where's Dad going? And Auntie Anne was like, oh, he, he can't drink in the house, you know? <laughs> that's, that's the only time I ever remember him with um, any type of uh, beer that I, that I remember, so... But that was um, that was the neighborhood, huh? Oh yeah. Well, I remember him drinking. Yeah. And you know, uh, one day Jimmy came home. Jimmy was like three years older than your dad. So yeah. He was like eight years. So that's years that's that's my older. other uncle, yeah. and he was the yeah, uh, so, the older brother. Yeah. He he yeah. drank a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> and, know the stories on him. Yeah. So one night he came home, and uh, he was he almost fell out the window in the little bedroom, and and your father called me to help. He said, you know, Jimmy was almost out the window. Yeah. So I came running in. I saw Jimmy hanging half out the window. And I said to your father, in or out? <laughs> so we pulled him in. <laughs> you pulled him in. But we fought, we fought a lot. So it wasn't true. Where his head oh, was that's what that brothers do. Yeah, exactly. Do you think there was a split second in his head uh, where he's like, that's a great question? Well, that's why I asked it. <laughs> so, <laughs> true, brother. So thank you, Uncle Jimmy, for you guys pulling him in. So, um, yeah, so um, so probably started drinking around 12, 13, so right through, right? Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I remember <clears throat> you coming home, and um, I remember one time, well, we moved around Dorchester. I remember that, too. We moved, but we bounced, and we ended up... Um, it was, um, it's where, I remember, just remember the street where all the um, apartments looked the same, um, and it was all brick. Mm. I thought we lived over there for a little while, and, uh, and then we, um, 
I remember you came home one time and you had got, just gotten into a fight down at the bar mm. and your back was a little scratched up and everything. Mm. You, you got yourself into a lot of trouble, didn't you? Yeah, well, I had a personality change and uh, a lot of my, you know, the people we drank with did too and there was a lot of us together, so, yeah. you know. But we had sort of our own justice system. Yeah. If, if somebody tried to run with somebody else's girlfriend when they came in, we would like beat the snot out of them. Yeah. And so we had this little push and pull thing we had. Uh, but um, but we didn't obviously know the implications of, right. of the disease at that time. It was more fun than trouble then. You know, because when I first came to A, they would ask, you know, how much how much has alcohol been fun? How much trouble has it been? Yeah. You know, so at the beginning, it's more fun than trouble. So when they, did they ask you that question when you went into AA? Well, when I first came, went to AA, oh. I was 22 years old. Okay. And I would listen to guys and ladies talk. And, yeah. Uh, I was kind of taken aback by, by it, you know, their honesty. Yeah. And, and I was actually embarrassed for them. Like I heard a guy say, uh, I threw my wife down a flight of stairs and I didn't mean it. And that, that sounded crazy to me right. when I first went to AA. But after I started coming to AA and learning something about the disease, uh, I found that he was, say, he was kind of reminding himself of the guy that he is when he drinks. Right. You know, how bad his behavior could be when he drank. But he wasn't that guy anymore. Right. But he didn't want to forget that guy. Yeah. You know, Which and he I wasn't that important. guy sober. Absolutely. And so, you know, just so you know, I think that's hereditary because when I drank, <laughs> yeah, I, I was mean and nasty too. Well, everybody has a, a different way they drank. I was a blackout drinker. I was a blackout drinker. And I thought too. everyone was a blackout drinker. Yeah. But I came to AA and I heard people that were sober and were staying sober that were not blackout drinkers. Right. Some of them had gray hair, some of them remembered everything. So that, that really, it doesn't say whether you're an alcoholic or not. Right. Well, how your memory is. So what, how, I mean, do you, is it, so if somebody was drinking and they had a couple of problems, are they considered an alcoholic? Like, what, is there a, like a definition of well, how yeah. would you define um, alcoholism well, to an individual? Yeah. Well, addicts and alcoholics, we, we do try to define what the disease is. Right. And you have to apply it to what it does to you when you drink a drug. Right. So the main thing is that if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, uh, when you pick up a drink or a drug, it sets up a physical compulsion to keep drinking. Mm -hmm. the drink, we say the drink takes a drink and right. a mental obsession to keep drinking, to keep the party going. So that's kind of the thing that we look for. You know, Once I picked up a drink, I didn't want to continue to drink, but I did continue to right. drink. It didn't matter what I wanted. <coughs> Yeah, it was the alcoholic. same way. Yeah. Just, just kept drinking. Yeah, and along the way, trying to control my drinking. Right. You know, we, we have a saying that uh, you don't try to control your drinking if there's no problem or drugging. Right. You know, if there's no reason to control it if you're in control of it, obviously. Um, and how often did you drink? Like, so, um, I, for example, I, I, I always said I didn't drink all the time, but when we cut loose, in the, like, so in the Marines... <clears throat> the weekend, that yeah. was it. Yeah. Looking forward to it's the weekend. Yeah. Um, so or when I got into the Marines, and it was mm -hmm. like whenever um, yeah. my work um, duty stopped, and mm -hmm. then I was, uh, it's time to play. Mm -hmm. So as they say, work hard, play hard. So I didn't, I wasn't consistent, but like I said, when I drank, right. I drank, and so it was a blackout yeah. for me. Well, I try to control my drinking a little bit because the drinking age was 21, and I yeah. was a lot younger than when I was drinking. Uh -huh. When I was like 19 or 20 years old, uh, I was having 
uh, chest trouble, pains in my chest and stuff like that. And I had this Harvard Health Plan. And I went to talk to the, uh, the doctor. I had a primary care doctor. And he was sitting across the table from me. And he asked me how much I drank. Yeah. So I figured I probably drank two six-packs like five days a week. Wow. Something like that. I mean, it was come up to almost a couple That's a lot. Yeah, it's kind of a lot. So I wanted to clean it up for the doctor. So he said, how much do you drink? And I said, I drink about two cases a week, which I figured is like yeah. three beers a day, which is, well, six beers a day or something yeah. like that. And uh, he goes, that's way too much. You might be having a problem. And I said to myself, this guy must be from Belmont or something. <laughs> <laughs> He's from Dorchester. He'd know that wasn't a lot. You know, but that was just my perception yeah. of how I looked at alcohol. I mean, alcohol was all around me. Right. There were bars everywhere, liquor stores everywhere in Dort Ave. Well, everybody, that's what everybody did, right? It was unusual for our parents to be right. drinking or having one, at least one parent with a problem. And, but you didn't talk about it. Right. You know, you know uh, if somebody was arrested or lugged on a night, you know, your neighbor, one of your friends, the Welches, or yeah. you wouldn't talk about it the next day because it could be your denim on the next day. Right. So it, we kind of, there was some shame associated with it. Right. And plus, you know, Irish Americans, we, yeah. we don't say too much yeah. <laughs> until we're, you know, yeah. taught to do that, really. <laughs> that it's, it's, it, yeah. it's a problem. Well, yeah. I know you took us, I, I always remember the story growing up, you took us to the beach and you were trying to hide the bear. Do you remember that story? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you were about four or five. I, 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 yeah, I something know. like that. And yeah. I took you and your brother to the beach. Yeah. See, this is the other sad thing. I had <coughs> to, I had to drink it, but I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought I was drinking because I wanted to, but when I look back on that, and that's one of the things that really stood out to me later on when I started to come around AA, and bothered me. Yeah. Uh, I was supposed to be sober. Yep. And I was taking you to grandma's, my mom's house. Oh, so you were you yeah. so you were already you were supposed to be sober already, and I was supposed to be staying sober. I was kind of going to AA at the time, yeah. on and off, and mostly to placate people. Um, so I took you and your brother to the beach, and um, I had a bag of beer, and you guys were on the swings and stuff like that. And yeah. I was over on the rocks, and I had the uh, the beers cleverly disguised in a paper bag. Yes. And, uh, Genius. I, yeah, you were like three or four. I think you were like three or four yeah. years old. And uh, when I got home, uh, my mother opened the door and she said, Grandma, Uncle Kevin's drinking beers. <laughs> and I, so. thought, I thought, I can't even get over on a three or four-year-old yeah. kid here. You know. But you, you think that you're fooling people and you're not. Yeah. But when I look back on that, that's very scary. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I thought to myself a few years ago, if I saw somebody today drinking and they had three and four-year-old kids with them, I might be tempted to call the police on them. Yeah. I don't know if I would. I'm not sure. Um, but it, it's a moral dilemma for sure. Right. I know. Yeah. You know, we laugh, I laugh about it and everything. We laugh mm -hmm. about it now. But even now, even myself, when I think back to the stuff that I've done, mm -hmm. it's actually frightening uh, when I was drinking. Yeah. You know, at the time it was funny, whatever, doing stupid, crazy stuff. But I think back now, and I'm like, geez, I'm, I'm very lucky. I didn't get myself killed or kill somebody or do something crazy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's just, that comes with time, doesn't it? And, it, and it's a nice reminder to... Um, well, I, I think denial and rationalization is such a part of addiction and alcoholism. We don't think we're doing it. Right. It's like uh, we're making excuses to drink, defending our right to drink, we call it. And we will almost bend any situation around 
to make it okay for us to drink because we don't want to be bad people. Right. But we need to drink as, as well. And we're not sure we need to drink except on reflection when we get away from a drink. Yeah. And then we look back on it. So we say that addiction is not a moral issue. Uh, you know, it's an allergy. For some reason, some people that start to drink or start to drug wind up with the physical compulsion, mental obsession, and then whatever, wherever that takes you. It's not a good place if you're an addict or an alcoholic, right. wherever that takes you. Uh, but along the way, it's a progressive disease. So some things that you were able to control at the beginning, you know, as the disease goes along, it takes more of your time, money, right. more of your dignity, all of it. But you don't know what's happening. You're in kind of a bubble. Right. It's an unhealthy situation to be an al alcoholic or an addict. But if you're not exposed to a healthy situation, you have nothing to really compare that to. And you kind of do it on your own. You're trying right. to do it on your own. Which we all know very rarely. Well, we don't know that when we're in it. Right, no. Yeah. So, so how did AA come about? What was, I, knew, I know you're familiar with AA and everything, Bill W. And then the other yeah. guy was Bill too, right? Uh, wasn't there another Bill? Uh, Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson. Dr. Bob, that yeah. was it. Yeah. I, so, you know, um, and I did see that it started in 1935. Yeah. And I also um, saw that um, as of 2016, they had made possibly like over 2 million um, um, active mem members. I mean, I just yeah, I don't, I don't know what those numbers are, but they're pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, well, it works. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you can speak firsthand of that, and I can too. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, it's, I have... it's interesting that <clears throat> these two guys were chronic, were suffering from chronic alcoholism. Yeah. And, and they were both successful people. Uh, Dr. Bob was a... a clinical doctor right and Bill Wilson was a salesman stocks and stuff like that and uh, and neither one of them could stay sober although they were trying and their life was kind of going uh, downhill quickly right and they were in this hospital and this doctor Silkwood was a pretty prominent doctor at the time in this chronic hospital and uh, for some reason they would be sharing uh, what their life was like drinking drugs I mean drinking yeah mostly and uh, and the losses they had and they had that in common and they also had uh, sort of a spiritual background. They were both had uh, believed in the church, believed right. in a, a God. It was a Christian base. Yeah, yeah they, they believed in, in God, and uh, so they had that. And, uh, and they found that by talking about that and praying, they were staying sober. It was almost, you know, by accident. That right. They were sharing, and the grace of God was in their life, I think, at the beginning of it. On reflection, they call it the grace of God, and most people that get sober will call it that as right. well. So... Uh, and Dr. Silkwood wrote the uh, doctor's opinion of the, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and he wasn't an alcoholic or drug addict, uh, but he was watching this spiritual phenomenon happen. And then they went out and started to recruit people up to 100 members at the beginning. Yeah. And he, uh, he supported them and encouraged them because he wasn't, he wasn't as concerned about him being able to help them as them getting this help that they needed with this disease. Right. And it was pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah, that is remarkable because mm -hmm. here we are today, you know, and yeah, I mean, you know, according to the uh, information, I was like two million people. Yeah. You know? I mean, obviously uh, right now, but yeah. obviously it's helped many people all along the way. Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's a, it's a fellowship and yeah. uh, the disease is a complicated disease. You know, um, I was taught that I could stay sober if I followed some simple suggestions of people that were already sober and, and do what they did and came along with them. Uh, but it's not easy because it requires change. Right. And the change has to come from within. And uh, 
And once you're willing to do that, it's almost like you have a sickness and the medicine is there, people that are around the fellowship. Yeah. But until they decide to take that medicine, to reach out and, and let other people kind of think for them at the beginning and take them along and nurture them a little bit, um, you know, it's a life and death thing. Right. Um, so it's a, it's a healing place, and it's a place where you can get help, but you need to want to get that help. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. Yeah, is that part of like I, I've heard people say, um, like so when I when I quit drinking in '87, mm. um, I didn't do AA. But the fact that you guys were in AA obviously mm. had an impact on me and mm. my sobriety. Um, <clears throat> and I've always said that it wasn't until later on until I kind of made a spiritual connection, mm. and that really changed a lot of things for me. Right. Um, but I, I remember I had to go into rehab a couple of times in the Marine Corps, and mm. maybe through you guys, or because I actually, I do, what I do remember is going to the meetings with you guys when I was a kid. Mm. And at that time, what I remember is everybody was drinking coffee and the place was filled with smoke. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, as I look back now, it's like you traded one addiction for another. <laughs> and so. Um, you give up one thing at a time. We'll yeah, <laughs> one yeah. thing at a time. Um, so obviously that, I know that definitely played a, a, a part in my sobriety, uh, the fact that you guys were sober and, and just picking up little pieces along the way. But I remember um, somewhere someone saying, just continue to go to the AA meetings and, and then eventually somebody's gonna tell your story. Yeah. Yeah, did that happen for you or how did uh, that? Yeah, well, we call it identify. We're kind of taught to identify, don't compare. Yeah. yeah look for the similarities and, and the pain and the recovery and somebody's story and try to identify it, you know. Yeah. I, I have a friend, he's been sober a long time and he's in EAP. And um, when he was first coming around, yeah. you know, he would compare and his sponsor would always tell him, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're comparing and, you, you know, you're not looking at the similarities. He said, uh, and what helped him one day, uh, his sponsor said to him, uh, you know, you say you want to get sober, but look for a way in and not a way out. And something <laughs> yeah. as simple as that yeah. broke that down for him. Yeah. And he started to think more positive. But he's in a healing environment. Right. That's why even if you're not sober, you know, you, you have to keep coming. You have to keep coming yeah. because you're in a healing environment. You don't know that one day when you might hear something that, you Clicks. know, really, yeah, hits you spiritually. Yeah. Uh, so talk about a sponsor. So like... Obviously, if you were to go to an AA meeting, um, when does a sponsor play a part? Obviously, when that person is ready to take on a sponsor, but what would be the role of a sponsor? And how okay, would that work? okay. I mean, uh, I can go from my own experience. Um, yeah. It takes a lot of support to, to get sober from alcohol or, or drug addiction. It, it takes a lot of support. And isolation is a dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. So they, the suggestion is that you join a group as soon as possible. You should go to meetings anyway. You can go to, go to meetings. That's the most important thing. Right. But once you're in the meeting, find a group that you're comfortable with, maybe something close to home, something that's convenient to get to, right. and, and go to that same meeting and let people see you. Because people in that meeting are going to notice that you know. They we pretty much know who, who comes. Right. And they will reach out to you, and they'll look for you, and you can look for them. And that's when that... Uh, thing, you know, the fellowship might start to happen if you break down some of those barriers right. that we have naturally as elkies and drug addicts. And the sponsor is someone that you talk to about personal things. You know, things maybe you wouldn't tell to a group, 
but right. stuff that you're dealing with on a daily basis. And they kind of walk you through those kind of things, encourage you, whatever's going on, uh, mm -hmm. not to drink or drug, and, and be able to deal with those issues. And the other thing is a sponsor might have similar things they've gone through another group member. It's all about you know, staying away from one drink for one day. Would the sponsor maybe share some of their experiences? Oh, and, absolutely. And, and, you know, to just yeah. to make a connection, obviously, to let them know that, you know, what you're going through, we've gone through before. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. On a 12-step call, that's what you do. You come and tell the candidate, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, to let them know that you've been where they are. Right. And, uh, and it's okay. It's okay to feel fear. It's okay to be afraid to... Uh, to talk about your feelings and those kind of things. At first, you just want to show up and let someone know, yeah, I've kind of been where you are, and yeah. here's where I am now. That's where the program of attraction comes in. Plus, it's got to impress you that somebody who doesn't know you is taking an interest in you yeah. and coming and trying to help. There must be something going on here. Right. You know. Right. And um, so, um, when does the when so you, do people join the group and then? Um, How's that work? I mean, like, so like, I always listen to people talk about, oh, I'm doing, you know, uh, my fourth step. Yeah. Or, so how, do, how does those, does that like? Yeah. Well, well the, the, the 12 steps is uh, something that uh, maybe do after you have built a foundation of meetings and a group and, and things like that. That's kind of looking at um, where you came from, yep. your life had become manageable, getting a spiritual uh, place to go, uh, you know, we'll, one of the great things that the people, uh, the founders of AA did is they, they knew that they, they had to be a spiritual aspect to AA because self-reliance doesn't work for the person that comes to AA or, or NA. Right. Uh, it gets into recovery because we've tried that. You know, most people have had, pro if you have problems drinking or drugging, along the way, you have tried to stop yeah. or cut down or whatever you want to call it. Um, and the sel if self-reliance worked, you probably wouldn't need the program. So the suggestion was ask a power greater than yourself to help you stay away from a drink or a drug. And that's the thing that the first two members did. And Dr. Silkwood noticed that. That right. was a difference. That's why they were having success, success he thought. Um, so, uh, and it's, you know, it's a higher power of your own conception. Right. Where you're comfortable with. And, and you, don't even, you don't even need to believe it first. You just have to try right. because it's work. It's working for so many millions of people, like you said. Right. So why, why wouldn't I try? But the thing that's most important is to, is to go to meetings at the beginning. Get some connections right. with uh, people that are sober and people that are, are willing to help. There's always people willing to help you. Right. I always get excited when somebody comes in and, and they, and they want to change. Yeah. I'll give you an example. I went to a meeting after New Year's. Uh, up on uh, Talbot Ave. There's a group, yeah. group up there that I first used to go to, the, the James group, and they were moving out of there. They sold the building or something. So I'm Norfolk Street in Dorchester. And I get outside, and there was a young guy there. You know, young like 40. Yeah, it's cool. So, yeah. so I'm outside, and I hadn't met him before. And he goes, uh, oh, my name's uh, Terry. He says, uh, I think I met you before at New Boston group. I'm in the New Boston group at yeah. this time. And uh, I said, how you doing, Terry? You know, and he said, uh, well, I just got out of jail yesterday, right? And, uh, and he was at the meeting the next night, right? Yeah. So I told him this the other day. He sold about six months now, whatever, whatever it is, yeah. So I said, you know, that night when you told me that, Terry, 
I wanted to give you a big hug when you told me <laughs> that, but I didn't want you to get the wrong idea. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. what, I, what I was saying to him was, you were in this environment, right. this negative environment, you were in jail. I mean, a lot of nice people in there, right. but it's not a positive environment. It's not an environment that an alcoholic and drug addict can talk about how they're feeling, and people will know what they're talking about. You know, they got their own issues. Yeah. I said, and then you went from that the next night to an AA meeting. Yeah. You know, a healing place, a place where you can come as you are. Yeah. Where we understand, we speak the same language. And you're welcomed. And he's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a 16-year-old daughter, and he's trying to get back on her life. And, he, you know, a day at a time, right. he's doing it. And he'll continue to do it if he keeps working his program That's a day right. at a time. Talk about that one day at a time. What's the idea behind one day at a time? Well, number one, it's the only day we control. Yeah. And number two, um, it's, you know, looking in the future and looking at the past, we have no control over that. Right. What we have control over is, we call it the next right thing, trying to do the next right thing, uh, trying to do the best we can. The best thing I can do is to focus on the fact that I'm an alcoholic and I have to treat the disease every day. Right. If I ask for help in the morning and I don't pick up a drink, you know, that frees me up for other things. And the steps kind of... You, you do that. You look at where you came from, uh, where you want to go. You take responsibility for your character defects, try to work on them a little. Just maybe try to be the best person you can be. Yeah. We all make mistakes. Of course. And then make amends. M more so by what we do than by what we say. I mean, right. apologies are nice, but actually showing up, showing someone that, uh, you know, it, it, a lot of trust is, is lost with this disease. Yeah. And it has to be rebuilt over right. time. And all we can do is our, our part of it. Um, so we keep stuff in a day. And uh, we ask for help for a day. And mm -hmm. the most important thing is we don't pick up a drink or drug. Just focus on that moment. And, and we learn with a support group. When we have trouble, we, the sponsor is someone you talk to about how you're feeling, what you're, what's going on in your right. life. And, and they're there for you. And there'll be come a time when your sponsor needs support. Right. You know, right. it's a relationship. It's because a, it's, it's a two life. Way street. Of course, of course yeah. it is. You know. and, and, and life is tough and life is hard and we need that support, which is, I think, is one of the, the great things. It's, it's a community. AA is a mm -hmm. community of, mm -hmm. uh, what is it, like-minded people? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And so when you can identify with somebody, I think, like we were talking about trust, <clears throat> like you said, a lot of trust gets lost in this disease, but you, you must also find that people uh, are generally very forgiving. Oh, you know, I, I, see, I see so many beautiful things. In yeah. I mean, there's so much healing with families. Yeah. I'll give you an example. I had a friend. I used to walk with him, Sully. And uh, a few years ago, uh, he was walking around Castle Angeles, and he, said, and he had a son, Sean. And he said, uh, he said, hey, Sean's getting married. And he loves Sean's fiance. Yeah. And he said, uh, Sean told me, hey, Dad, I'm getting married. He said, uh, you know, I want to know if you'd be my best man. Yeah you know, be my best man at my wedding. And Sully said to Sean, he said, uh, well, you know, Sean, that's usually something you ask one of your buddies to do. He said, uh, why don't you ask your best friend? And Sean said, I just did. <laughs> See, that's You know, cool. it's like, yeah, it's a beautiful thing, that relationship, right. because Sully was sober over the years when Sean was growing up and he was available and you know, he loved him. I mean, they yeah. loved each other. That's excellent. Yeah. And it's, you know, and I think it's important for people to know, like, you know, uh, you know, because we we do horrible things in our addiction, 
but um, and we carry that guilt and that shame. We've talked about that on the podcast many times because that also keeps us in our addiction. And you know, I want just people to know, like, you know, majority of people are very forgiving if you're doing the work, if you're mm -hmm. really making the effort. You know, you it's amazing. I, I've always just found like people are very, very forgiving, um, especially when you when you're doing, you know, the mm -hmm. the good stuff. You know. Mm -hmm. I, I remember my my dad always going, don't don't tell me what you're going to do, show me. <laughs> and when you show people, you know, I mean, just so many things wonderful happen, you know. Oh. And, you know, he was doing it. Yeah, he, he was. He, he had credibility. You have credibility if your actions, <clears throat> you know, uh, and your words match. Right. And I still think of things he taught me, you know, we had so much fun together. He used to say uh, small things, but simple things, but important things. like Right. Uh, You'll never regret taking the high road. <laughs> <laughs> he always had great sayings, didn't he? But, but, it, but he did them. Yeah. He's a beautiful man. He always yeah. had one that it was just kind of like, um, it was, <laughs> no matter what you were doing, he would always say, you have the problems of a man that's doing this. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I, I know. Can you give me some help here? He, you know? He, he put it he, he put it back on you. Yeah, he did. He put it yeah, back he did. on you. Yeah. And he was, you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, yeah. um, you knew it was right. You didn't want yeah. to hear it. Ab absolutely. Absolutely. You know? We got to own our own stuff. If, if yeah. We got to live in a reality. And if you come in and recover, you're going to live in reality because right. people are going are gonna to make you responsible for what you do. But if you become responsible, life gets better. It doesn't get easier, hmm. but it certainly does get better. Correct. Absolutely. So don't be afraid to take responsibility, you know, like well, when people, uh, it's scary, I think, from time to time, right? But Well, we're only building things in a day. Yeah. We're building a bridge. Right. And, and as, as this happens, I had a woman, I, I heard her speak, and she had, uh, she was a young woman, and she had a prosthetic, like she was in this bad motorcycle accident. Yeah. And she said she came from an Italian family and always wanted her dad's approval. No, he's a great old guy, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but she couldn't get it because she was messing up a lot, you know. And then she came to AA, and she was uh, she had a sponsor, and her sponsor would make suggestions. She said, "But I would I would take my sponsor's suggestions as requirements for me." She said, That's <laughs> yeah. who I looked at it. I, yeah. I I wanted to try to stay sober, and, and her sponsor was such an attractive woman to her. Yeah. You know the way she looked, the way she talked, the way she treated people, the respect right. that she got. And she said after Excuse a year me. or two. Um, you know, her relationship with her dad was much better. She started a little business. And so she said at the beginning, she said, uh, I had to come to AA, she said, but after a period of time, you know, I was feeling good about myself and my relationships. And she said, I get to come to AA. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's a beautiful thing. Get to go and you want to go. Yeah. You know? Well, you get to a point where a lot of people want to drink or drug. And you can stay sober that way, too. Right. But most people come to a point where, you know, they come to AA because of the things AA gives them, not, not because of the things that they'll lose if they drink. They come because they love their life today. Right. You know, and it's, it's so worth it. Right. I mean, and sometimes tragedies are the things. I mean, everybody suffers tragedies, but being able to be the comforter at that time, right. you know, and let your family comfort you, those are the things that are important. And to talk about tragedies and... Um because, I mean, that's, as people say, life on life's terms. Mm. We're going to experience them. And you don't, there's nobody gets out of this life without experiencing some type of tragedy, hardship. Mm. It's just life. Mm. 
and the fact that you have a place to go where you can, uh, you know, tap into like-minded people, a community. Um, <clears throat> I've, I've, um, uh, you know, this happens from time to time. I think it's old age. I was about to make a point because <laughs> you touched on something and I lost it. Um, but um, I'll just say, so, um, oh, I do, I do know tragedy. So we were talking about tragedy and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I heard, I've heard, several times people talk about the 12 steps mm. and you know 12 steps are all part of AA but I've heard people say listen like these things are these steps are so good you just literally could apply them to your life every single day like like what they were saying is just it helps you to be a better person it helps you the steps must also help you um, deal with the hardships of life yeah well I, I think <clears throat> yeah the, the, the steps kind of allows you to look at yourself, yeah. uh, take responsibility, make changes, uh, maybe figure out the things that you have some control of, things you don't, but they make you available, right. I think. And being available, I mean, there are times in tragedies where there's nothing verbal you can really say, the pain yeah, is so yeah. badly, and, and we all experience that in this environment today. But just like showing up, right, let someone that. know that, that you care. And ultimately, that's, that's the most important thing. Right. What about the higher power? When did it went? So the higher power, I, I, I hear, you know, we have a lot of people that come on, a lot of people with addiction, and a lot of people like, I hear words like it clicked, it clicked, something clicked, or I just mm -hmm. had this like light bulb moment, or, yeah. um, you know, and it usually when they say those things, it's almost like, and they, they will say specifically, it was uh, maybe a connection to a higher power, or maybe turning over, or surrendering. Which, you know, people don't like to surrender. Right. <laughs> we don't. Especially alcoholics. Especially alcoholics. Yeah. But there's strength in surrendering. But mm. for you, did it, was there a moment or was it a gradual thing? Was there a moment that clicked, a light bulb moment where maybe you realize, oh, there's a higher power. There's something greater and bigger than myself that's, that's yeah. in control. Yeah, there, <sighs> there's no doubt that um, I didn't stay sober until I asked God to help me stay away from a drink right. for a day. Uh, I didn't have a religious awakening. Some people have a spiritual yep. awakening that's very intense, uh, but you don't have to have that. Right. Um, a lot of our literature just talks about uh, having God as a friend, uh, someone, someone that you can ask for help, uh, you know, deal with whatever you're dealing right. with. And um, so I think the success I had of staying sober and then being able to kind of rebuild my life and relationships and, and be responsible and reliable, yeah. And that, of course, helps your friends. Your, fa your father used to say to me, uh, if, you, if you want a friend, you have to be a friend. Yeah. You know, and develop relationships like that. And then uh, my life was, I mean, my life has been so good being sober and so different than the lack of control I had over myself uh, when I was drinking um, that, uh, you know, I'm just grateful to be sober every day. I mean, it's the most important thing. Part of the gratitude is uh, giving it back to people. Right. So I'm still involved in that. <coughs> I um, know that. Yeah. Well, the thing today, though, is uh, that's scary. There's not a lot of wiggle room out there today no. for kids today because it's such a lethal environment. So I did a meeting Sunday morning, and I had young people speak at the meeting. I had a young lady uh, and then three guys that were in their late 20s, early 30s. And, uh, and they're sober today yeah. and clean today. And all of them have had dual addictions, you know, 
heroin, opioids, and alcohol. Yeah. And, uh, and they're working this program. It's a spiritual malady. And you can stay sober and clean regardless of the drug of your choice. I, right. I see it. When I see it, it's encouraging because the climate is so desperate out there today. Right. Yeah. It's horrible. Um, but so um, this um, spiritual um, malady, um, you could see a difference. Um, well, if you think about it, if you have a problem with alcohol or drugs and you give it up for a good reason, mm -hmm. whatever shame, whatever indignity has come along, uh, and I could give up booze for like a couple of months, uh, but I would, I would pick up a drink again. Uh, I was picking up that drink sober. Right. But the disease of alcoholism wouldn't let me be honest about what happened to me when I drank. We have, a thing, we have a thing we say. It's not how much you drink, who you drink with, what happens to you when you drink a drug. That's it. That's as simple as it gets. Right. And uh, I wasn't healthy enough. Yeah. It's a fear-based disease. And when I got to an uncomfortable place, I went to look for relief. Right. That's another reason we keep it in a day. Because when we get to that uncomfortable place and we look for relief, we have a choice. Instead of running to the drink of the drug, we pick up the phone, we go to a meeting, right. we talk to someone that's in the fellowship with us or a friend or a family member. I could always go talk to your dad. Yeah. And he would always, as soon as I saw him, I felt better. Right. You know, because, because of the guy was. So I think it's perfect that you just mentioned that because, um, like you said, you know, um, you wouldn't drink, but then uh, we're confronted with, say, maybe, I don't know, maybe stress or these things. and. Mm -hmm. In the past, we turn to those things that we think are bringing us comfort, but haven't. So, let's say like alcohol and drugs, and we're right. looking for that moment where uh, we can leave the emotions or whatever, the feelings that are coming up. We can just mm -hmm. disengage, and so, and that becomes a routine for us. It becomes our habit. And so, mm -hmm. what I noticed, and I liken this and uh, this this story of my father was that. So for you, um, or picking up the phone, or reaching out to somebody has to become kind of like a new habit, a new routine. Absolutely. Um, and, it, and, and so in other words, beginning to replace those um, um, bad habits with the good habits, and you know, which obviously comes with AA. Maybe hmm, it comes hmm. down to dropping on your knees. Hmm. It comes down to reaching out. Hmm. I, I, I'll tell you, like, so when we were working on the aquarium, we were in the labor's union, and um, it was it was you were on the job with uh, my dad, and we were driving. He picked me up in the morning. <laughs> we were driving, and we were working crazy hours. Remember, we were doing like seventy, oh, yeah. ninety hour weeks, right? And we were at each other's throats. We were driving home, screaming and yelling at each other. And I remember <laughs> he he said, "Listen, I apologize." He says, "I haven't been to a meeting in a while." He said, uh, we're working crazy hours. He says, I haven't been able to get to one, and I'm just on edge, and I apologize. And he says, I'm going to a meeting tonight. And I said, okay. To, at the, you know, right, like at that time, it didn't really mean too much to me. Like, I just wasn't really like, oh, okay, good, go to a meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, I was yeah. probably pissed. <laughs> and uh, the next day, totally different person. Mm -hmm. Totally different. His, mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about, right. his facial expression, everything. There was just a peacefulness about him mm. like it was so much so that I I picked up on it when he picked me up mm. and <clears throat> I think maybe later on I kind of made that connection I, th I thought and I think it was through my own spirituality so like I would go to church and I needed to go to church mm. 
because I needed that little connection for the week. I needed to kind of get grounded. I need to get back to a good, solid uh, mm -hmm. foundation, a base. And, and that's what it was for me. And then I kind of somehow made that, that thought came into my head. That was AA. He, he needed to get to his AA meeting because mm -hmm. life, it was just coming on and I need to get back to my safe space or whatever <laughs> you want to call it and just make that connection in. And, and so like, I know for the longest time, right? Your, your Friday night is, mm -hmm. yeah. is the group that you go to and, right. and it's a, it's a, it's a, Fantastic group. Yeah, New Boston. Um, so yeah, we. What is it? New Boston. New Boston group. Yeah. <coughs> at, at, at BC High. How long has that group been going for? The group's like fifty years old now. Fifty. Wow, fifty years old. Yeah, my cousin actually was uh, uh, one of the uh, founding members. Really? Jackie Farrell. Yeah. Yeah, Jackie it's pretty Farrell. cool. A founding. It's member. pretty cool though the connections that, that yeah. you have. And, and your dad was taken to uh, his first meeting by Alan G. from JP. You know the and your brother lived in his house. Yeah. And, uh, and he, uh, he had done time, Yep. you know, and he got sober when he was in jail many years ago. Right. And, uh, and when, he got, when he got out, and, and those things continue. I mean, you know, healthy stuff, healing stuff continues. But yeah. You, you got to work it. We do say that that's a good word, condition. Our sobriety depends on our spiritual condition. Right. And our spiritual condition has to do with, you know, how much we're plugged into recovery, how much we're looking at other people, how, much, how honest we're being with ourselves. How much we're helping others, right? Yeah. And you know, it's um, I obviously I, you know, I talk to a lot of people, and some people have two years of um, recovery going and relapse or whatever it is, they relapse, mm -hmm. and and sometimes, especially like my facility, because we, mm -hmm. we have people coming and going, yeah, and we, we see a lot of the same faces, and you know, come back and what happened? Oh, I relapsed, and uh, well, you know, what happened? And now I, I, I I've said this many times on the podcast, like mm -hmm. I already know the answer that's coming, yeah. You know, oh, I was doing so well. Hmm. I was working a program or whatever it was that they were working. And hmm. then, you know, um, little by little, I stopped doing it. And before you know it, I relapsed. And so it's so important to, to really make this a part of your life. Absolutely. Uh, whatever your program may be, whether it be AA or whatever else, you know, whatever is keeping you grounded. I, I mean, this, I, I've had many people say spiritual sickness. <clears throat> And that relationship with the higher power has to be um, strong. It's just like you and I communicating. Right. If we haven't talked in a long time, we tend to grow apart and mm. we grow distant. It's like any relationship that you would have, mm. it has to remain strong. And that talk to them on a daily basis. I think that's why people say, you know, some people say, I get down on my knees every morning mm. and I pray, mm. which means I'm just talking to the prayer, uh, you know, your higher power. And I, I think it's important. So for people listening, if you're struggling or whatever, you know, um, continue to go to those meetings or whatever those programs are. Um, stay involved. You have to stay involved. Right. And there's so many <clears throat> different programs out there now. Like um, I was talking to um, John Dolan today, <clears throat> and John had um, a, um, a recovery uh, strong group coming in. I think it's Phoenix. Uh, it's, it's somebody I'm looking to eventually connect in to bring them in here to talk about what they do. But the Phoenix whole, House? Uh, no, it's not the Phoenix House. Okay. It's literally a whole working out. Okay. Uh, you know, just like last week I had the Boston Bulldogs running yeah. club. Right. Um, and, you know, if you want to, if you want to, um, if you're in recovery um, and you want to kind of keep yourself busy and you can connect up with these guys, uh, maybe a couple of times a week and you go for runs. Um, if you're serious about your recovery, they'll get you a coach. 
and they start training you how to do uh, races and marathons. They've run marathons. And so the, uh, this particular group focuses on exercise. So um, I know they just opened up a new place because when he told me about them, I was like, oh, I said, I, I want to talk to them. Uh, mm -hmm. Because, you know, again, every, anything that you can get your hands into that it's going to help you in your recovery, whether it be Yeah, like, yeah, it's great out, to treat, meetings, treat the body and the spirit. Treat the, you're right. Yeah. And, and giving back. Um, it's camaraderie. You, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's, <clears throat> you want to give back, don't you? Once, Absolutely. once it clicks, once you really like. You, you want somebody to have what you have. Right. And unless they're willing, but just continue. I'll tell you a fast story. Yeah. There's a guy, Charlie, I worked with, and uh, this other guy, Bobby Kay. They were in jail together. And he used to go pick up Bobby Kay when he was getting out of jail. Yeah. And, uh, and he knew because he knew people that were still in there. And, uh, and Bobby would relapse, and he'd go back into jail for a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, he came out, and Charlie was waiting for him. And when Charlie was driving him, Charlie had him a place to stay and stuff like that. So he's driving him. Uh, Bobby Kay said, uh, Charlie, how come you never get discouraged? And Charlie said, because uh, I want to be the guy that's here when you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> and he got sober. Yeah. And he helped a lot of people. You know, he just passed Isn't away that a couple fantastic? years ago. We never give up on each other. Yeah, don't give up on each other, <laughs> and um, and it's just it's it you can't explain it, but it's just so rewarding when you, you can just see in somebody's face that you know doesn't mean that they're not going to fall back into their old ways, but there's almost just a moment like you can see it just clicked. Well, they don't have to fall back in their old ways. They don't. But once <sighs> once you get it, and it's uh, it's a you got to treat the disease every day. You got to learn habits, like you said, right. to call up somebody when you get to that. I think when we relapsed, we always got to jump on off point. We didn't know what to do, so we ran. Right. You know, building a spiritual foundation, uh, you get to a point where you do know how to do that. Right. And then it becomes, you feel stronger when you get to issues that you couldn't have gotten through before. And Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then you start feeling comfortable about who you are. Right. And you, know, you develop a relationship with people that are sober and people that aren't. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I think it's great, um, like you said, it, when, when, when you... Um, when you end up having some troubles, if you can get yourself through it, you do come out feeling stronger. Well, we do it together. Yeah. yeah uh, absolutely. And you know, like, wow, I just got mm. through that. Yeah. I'm going to be all right. And so it just kind of mentally and, and spiritually helps you for the next thing that comes along in life. But like you said, it's got to be done together, you mm. know. Mm. Um, and you do a lot of work. I know that because uh, you come to my facility. Right. And you put on some AA meetings. Right. You and Curdy. Yeah. And I do have to say, I was lucky to come down and, and kind of step in um, when I when you guys came in. And uh, and I know I told you this, but uh, I've sat in on those before. And, you know, you and Curdy really had those guys' attention, which is hard to do sometimes. I think John Dolan scared them. Yeah, I don't know. I t <laughs> they know John. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm not saying John doesn't scare I'm them. Just but, kidding. I'm just kidding. You, but you know what I'm saying? You know, obviously, for some reason, that the, they were just able to we identify. We try to plant the seed, right? Yeah. I mean, we don't know. We don't know if they're going to catch it. <clears> and they might not, but they might. Well, you don't know. You don't know, and everything changes everything. Right. You know, a guy well, said to me one time, "These guys will never get sober." I said, "Well, he told me he didn't want to get sober." I said, "Yeah, but he might hear something two weeks from now that makes him think differently than he thinks today." That's right. We just don't know that. Right. Somebody could inspire him. Well, listen, I'm sure that the seeds that you guys had planted on me. 
uh, was able to help me get sober. And so, you know, um, so, um, you know, don't stop trying. What are we at? Are we, um, we um, uh, I think we're just about rolling, right? All right. So we're going to wrap this up. Unk, I'm telling you, I'm absolutely thrilled. I got to have you back. Okay. Uh, I, I, was, I was very excited when you told me you were coming on. Um, and uh, I love this guy. Um, so it's just, I, I thank you for coming and, um, and sharing your story and your wisdom. And I think it's very powerful. And if you were listening, um, again, if you're struggling, get to a meeting, reach out. I mean, there's meetings. You, you can find a meeting everywhere, right? <laughs> They're literally everywhere. Um, so um, Google AA. And lo I know like you go to AA, uh, you type in location, it'll tell you everything that's, uh, in your area. Uh, and just show up uh, or message me. Uh, message me on the Rock Bottom to Recovery Facebook page and uh, we can just start there. It's just a matter of reaching out. Start there. Absolutely. Show up, reach out, say hi. Uh, as you know, I'm also involved with the Hobart Cares Coalition. We meet the first Tuesday of every month at the Town Hall at 7 p.m. Another great place for resources. They also have a Facebook page. Uh, they're constantly updating the detox bed list. Uh, if you message us there, someone will certainly reach out to you. Uh, an amazing group of women. Mm -hmm. um, just, again, trying to um, educate and bring awareness is what we're doing here, respectfully, um, to the community and anybody that we can help out, we want to help out because, mm -hmm. um, you know, I have 31 years of sobriety. My life is fantastic. It's not easy, but I'm just absolutely thrilled. I wake up every day. I know you feel the same way, and we want you guys to feel that way. So. That's it. Thank you so much. Um, be safe and uh, we'll see you again. Rock bomb to recovery.